hey, 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 welcome to Creative Block. We're your hosts, Gene and V. We interview people in creative industries about their life, work, and hobbies while we doodle jam. We asked people on Twitter if they had specific topics they wanted us to discuss, as well as some drawing prompts. And today with us, we have Michelle Lamb, AKA Mew Tripled. Hi. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah. It's, thanks uh, for joining us. Yeah. Uh, Michelle, uh, tell us who you are and what you do. Hi. So my name is Michelle Lamb, and I am currently a Los Angeles based artist working in the animation industry. Currently, I'm a story artist at Unknown Studio, but I also create comics on the side. I'm also in the midst of publishing two graphic novels, and I, I guess I juggle a lot. So in this day and age, I just call myself an artist and try to broaden my horizons and sure. stuff. So yeah, and I also create YouTube videos on YouTube. So you said unknown studio. Can you elaborate on that? So basically I'm working at an animation studio, but I don't know if the name is something that I feel ready to release yet, but I will eventually talk about it. It's just, I'm still formulating when I should say it and what sure. project I'm working on. So yeah. Okay. That's exciting. I like yeah. the mystery. I know. It's <laughs> it's something that I'm definitely like, well, when the time comes, it'll definitely be a juicy conversation. Ooh. Yeah. Those are fun. I feel like animation is a lot of that. Just sitting on good news for like two years and just waiting yeah. to get the actual validation. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, tell us how you got your start in uh, illustration. So, well... Well, in art in general, it kind of started ever since I was a little kid. I was just mm -hmm. like any other child who binged random cartoons back in the 90s to early 2000s, like The Land Before Time and any Disney movies and Pokemon and just any of those old classic animes like Tokyo Mew Mew, which is pretty much the origins of my username that I'm now stuck with for the remainder of my life, I guess. <laughs> I just... Loved watching cartoons as a kid and my dad was, well, both my parents were always super encouraging about it, but my dad particularly was always like collaborating with me and would write stories on pieces of paper and he would be like, okay, now draw what I wrote or something. But it's mostly me telling him being like, hey, write a story and then I'll draw to it. And he'll be like, okay, fine. And then he would just <laughs> staple pieces of paper together write like a mini story about i don't know a hamster or something and then mm. i would just draw like things to the story and you know from that point onward i feel like that's when i developed an interest in drawing sequential art like i did like drawing like single drawings in general but i think something that really made me particularly like comics animation is because whenever I drew something, the reason why I liked doing it was because, oh, something is happening rather than like just draw a person standing there and smiling or something. So that's kind of how I got interested in comics, animation, and that world of art. That's really cool that you started doing sequential art so early on, I think. And also that it was like something that you did with your dad. I think that's like really sweet. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's something that I'm just like, wow, I never knew something that was so innocent and silly back then would actually evolve into a career. <laughs> yeah. What are uh, some of your first like bigger projects that you remember kind of embarking on? So 
like when I was a kid or when I first started in the industry? Well, no, I mean, well, let's start with a kid. There's, that's always fun to hear. Yeah, about. like All any right. project that like took a significant chunk of time, you know, that you were like, oh, I'm actually committed to this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So actually, when I was a kid, that was when I started my YouTube channel that is still existent today. Oh, my God. I, Wait, how old were you? I was like probably 10 or 11 and this is still the same account I've been using on YouTube ever since then. Like if you look at my history, it'll be like created March 2011 or something like that. And that was when I first just joined YouTube and I saw that there was like a community of people who just made animations on YouTube through MS Paint and Windows Movie Maker. And these were kids that were teenagers that were kind of slightly a little bit older than me. Like I was still a tween, but they were Mm. teens and they were making their own fake anime openings and animations. And I got totally inspired by that. And I was like, I could totally do something like this and I had I had a Windows computer also so I just ended up copying everyone but making my own stories but copying their process of like I'll just draw like 50 pictures and create an animation on Windows Movie Maker by assembling all of these individual drawings I did on MS Paint together and I kind of just joined this community online of I guess they were they called themselves fanimators or something Oh, very cool. Just, is that I know, a forum or is that like a website? No, I, no, it's not a forum or website. I just think it was the term that people use to describe like, oh, that people, the community on YouTube that just made their own fake animes or animations or whatever their series. But And they would all be like, yeah, we're going to create like our own series of animations and then we would all never follow through with it because we were just (laughs) teens and we didn't realize that like hey you need a whole team to create an animated series but we were just overly ambitious naive kids are just like you know what fuck that I'm just gonna do it anyway and you just like make your own like fake anime openings fake endings and then you might animate like maybe I know right and then after that you're just like well I'm done that's all I needed to do the opening is all I needed to accomplish (laughs) that's all that matters so yeah that was kind of like the first like serious I guess quote-unquote project or thing that I joined that's really cool that you found a community through YouTube I feel like that's the first time we hear um people like of someone getting a community through youtube i feel like usually like we've heard stories of like through newgrounds or through like DeviantArt. but i think that's like really cool like would you kind of like because i think community is something that's like really important when you pursue an interest in arts because you do need to have that mutual uh, encouragement from your peers and i was wondering like do you were you kind of like uh dming or like did you have like a group chat you kind of or was it just kind of like looking at each other's videos and commenting on like the videos i guess yeah so back then youtube did have private messages but it no longer exists now so i know right it's so weird and i'm just like wow i just have this whole inbox that's gone forever now but whatever i don't really want to read my old cringy (laughs) dialogue anyway (laughs) with like all of those emojis back then so Yeah, mostly nowadays it's through comments, but back then it was kind of both DMs and comments and people would kind of make video responses to each other or like kind of make 
memes or kind of like, oh, if someone did started this trend, other people would kind of copy. It's kind of like TikTok nowadays too, where sure. except instead of just videos, it was literal animations where people would find a song and animate to it. Like Caramel Dancing was one of them. Yeah. And then like everyone would do their own Caramel Dancing video with their own animations. And it was like really fun, I guess. And I did also have a deviant art back then, but I guess that came later after YouTube, because again, I think the thing that drew me about YouTube was like, I could like make a whole animation and again, do something that aligns with telling a story. Whereas like, I don't know, something on deviant art made me feel like oh, I have to make like this one single beautiful piece. And that was intimidating to me. Yeah. They definitely like push people towards a certain aesthetic. I think because it was like a gallery and everything was so like, and then like they introduced, I remember, I think it was called like sketches or something. There was like a whole other section where you could put like work in progress stuff. I think they were trying to correct that because that definitely, I I think a lot of people probably had the same feeling. Like everything had to be purposeful and like, you know. I think it's true. Like a lot of people were like, I remember feeling intimidated by deviant art about like, cause how did they call it? They called it like a devi- a deviation. Devi- or- yeah, deviation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which like, I didn't really know what that meant. Yeah. Like I, you know, it was just, that's the word that's based on the name of the website. But thinking on it now, it's like deviation. Like, come on. Yeah. It's so extra. I know. Yeah. And like recently I just logged into my deviant, deviant art account just to see what's been going on. So when I logged in, like, I saw all of these like old notifications and like all yeah. my remnants of the past. But then like ever since I logged in again, they keep emailing me and be like, oh, Mew doubled because that was my username back then. You have yeah. 36 notifications and they keep emailing me to remind me that I exist there. And I'm like, oh, my God, stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. DeviantArt will not let me uh, delete my DeviantArt account, which is a source of paranoia. But uh... <laughs> I know I actually. Now that I think about it, I'm just like, I should go back there and delete some stuff. <laughs> I like buried some things. Like you can um, put things in the vault or whatever. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know. I kind of like having like a chronicle of my old work. Because I, I, if somebody digs it up, if some kid digs it up, it's like, hey, man, look. Look where I started, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I think that's really cool though that like you really started on YouTube and like the way you describe your process sound sounds like um, it was closer to storyboards and actual animation since you were like doing like a sequence of pictures rather than like you know frames of animation or I think am I getting this right or were you trying to animate? So I, back then I was actually animating like 2D animations and stuff but I would never finish them completely. It would just be left like as the line art, the sketches, the drawings. And there were only very rare occasions that I actually fully colored a scene and rendered it and everything. But I think the part that I always enjoyed the most was like creating my own fake little animatics where it's like, oh, I just can basically describe like what the camera and the character is doing and just like get the point across. And then I'm like, oh, well, I'm done, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then I wouldn't finish it afterwards. And I used to have this series called Unfinished Animations, but I privated all of it mostly because I used copyrighted music like for everything. And I'm like, if I want to be monetized on YouTube now, I'm not sure if I should keep these up. So I pretty much just, I privated all of them or I deleted them. I don't know. But like they used to just be series of just unfinished animations I did where it was just like me just either animating or storyboarding to like my favorite song or something like that and 
Yeah, it's kind of like how nowadays storyboards are kind of getting a little bit more animated, I guess. Mm, I see. Yeah. yeah. That's that been a sense. whole discussion, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, did you uh, did you pursue art at all during high school or was it like a choice that you made uh, when you were deciding on college? So I think when I was in high school, early high school, I still had no idea what I wanted to do in the future in terms of what is my career? Like, I, mm. I actually don't even know if those were brain cells that occurred in my brain at that time. Sure. Yeah. I was just like, you know, I'm just attending school. One day I'll go to college, but that feels far away right now. And I like drawing and that is my life. But then once I hit junior year in high school, when, when my mom was like, Michelle, start looking into schools, make a list of where you want to go. And we have to like assemble all of these trips to go visit these colleges. And I was like, like, wow, life just suddenly got so overwhelming. <laughs> so that was when I started to learn about animation as a career. And I was like, originally, if we really wanted to go to my origins, I think I used to just really want to become a mangaka living in yes. Japan, making my own <laughs> comics and just have some studio pick it up. And I'll be like, yeah, that great. That's my life. Yeah. But I think living, of course, in the United States, I don't see moving to Japan or pursuing that career as something that is likely anymore, at least. And I was just like, well, what is the closest thing to that in the United States? Well, that's probably going to be animation. And honestly, at that time, I did not really have that great of an interest in Western animation because I grew up mostly with anime and like mm -hmm. Disney sometimes, but like it was still mostly anime. So I was just like, well, I guess I'll just have to force myself to start drawing more westernized. Mm -hmm. And there was a very specific phase when Tumblr was a thing and, you know, everyone was on Tumblr. I remembered making a post being like, I'm so sad that I have to like start incorporating drawing westernized cartoons <laughs> into my style. This isn't what I want to do, but if I want a job here, that's what I got to do. And that kind of like, I feel like when a lot of people talk about my style nowadays, they're like, yeah, your style is like a mix of western and eastern and i'm like yeah because because i had to i had to just you know adapt to be able to get a job here <laughs> that makes a lot of sense yeah 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 <laughs> oh that's that's crazy that's so funny that i like that story of the tumblr post because i do feel i do think this is relatable that's like a discourse that comes on on the internet often i think it's changing now but I feel like definitely like 10 years ago, it was a thing where it was like, can I put like anime inspired drawings in my portfolio? Um, yeah, exactly. Nobody yes. I know. I remember the days too, when I used to bring my portfolio to different schools and I would show professors that were, you know, probably the ones that were going to decide whether or not if I would go to this school. And like, anytime they turned to an anime-esque page, they'd be like, yeah, not that. Or like, mm -hmm. mm, I don't know, they would like shrug at it and stuff. And then now I'm just like, anime is probably one of the most like popping animation, oh, yeah. like niches happening right now. And I'm just like, wow. Definitely throwback yeah <laughs> yeah we had to we had to endure that so that the youth of today can thrive yes exactly I think we also, suffered for you yeah i don't <laughs> think I, I think it's also just like i think the money's talking like execs are like, money is talking for anime sure. is doing really well on streaming platforms <laughs> yeah i know right i'm just like i'm 
honestly, I'm happy that anime is finally gaining like the recognition because I don't know, it's kind of sad because now I don't really, I like literally don't watch any like animated things unless if it's like a film that comes out and it's like, okay, I'll, yeah. I'll go watch it with friends and family. But like back then it was just like, I would binge series and stuff like that. But now oh, I'm just yeah. like, now I don't watch anything and it's doing so well. And I can't, I don't know. I just don't have the time to watch all of these series anymore. I was just thinking about that too. And yeah. like, I mean, part of that I think is just getting older and growing up and like, you start to enjoy other things, you know, you just like prioritize life a little bit differently, but yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, I really don't watch any animation despite like working my whole life to get into the industry. Yeah. I think also, you know, I don't know about you, but like working in it starts to kind of poison the enjoyment of it. You know, it's like a lot of things where you, you start to see all of the like mistakes or you see, you can kind of feel things happening behind the scenes or like, in some cases, I, like, know somebody who worked on a show, and I don't like them, and so I'm just, like, I'm, like, Ugh. like, I'm looking at it, and I'm just, like, I don't want to watch this. Yeah, there's just too so. much of, like, reminders of work nowadays whenever I watch, even, like, sometimes live action, just because whenever I get feedback from directors, now they're just, like, well, in live action, it would be like this. Right. I'm, like, shut up. Don't tell me that. Oh, yeah. They love, hey, oh, yeah. We could talk about this for a while. No. <laughs> That's so crazy. I do feel like, I do feel like, um, it's funny. I, I do enjoy watching some animation, but I do realize that because we have to work for such long hours, the only animated shows that I, I quote unquote, like watch are the very talky shows. Cause when I don't have to look at the screen as much. No, exactly. Like really same. <laughs> it's because when I also watch stuff, it's because I'm watching it while I'm working. So the audio or whatever is talking, hap like happening dialogue wise better be super entertaining. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Corny dramas are the shit when you're, just, yeah. when you need something in the background, that's, that's the best <laughs> noise. Um, um, back yeah. to a little bit to like, um, you're going to your journey. Did you apply to multiple colleges or did you just apply to CalArts? How was that like journey for yeah, you a little so, bit? <laughs> oh my gosh. So that was definitely like an existential crisis in my life for sure. So I actually learned about CalArts from my mom. So we can thank her for like the reason why I went to that school. Cause she was just like, Michelle, there's this school where like everybody is making these student films and it's kind of like what you do on YouTube, but That's they really actually nice. finish yeah. their mm. stuff. They actually finish. <laughs> Damn. I know. Burn. I know. Cause my mom, she's very supportive in like what I do and like you know a lot of like Asians at least get that stereotype of oh you know your parents don't want you to be an artist whatever they want sure. you to do like be a doctor or something in that world but I feel really fortunate to have had my parents who they were actually very like to some degree like strict but I would say in a good way like I feel like I can thank them for my level of discipline today but they're like you know what like if you're going to do something with your life at least choose something that you want to do but we're gonna like really be pushing you to like do well in that thing that you love to do so I guess yeah, it's like kind of it's great because it's like oh I have someone who's supportive of my goals but will actually like hold me like somewhat accountable and mm -hmm. stuff so she introduced CalArts to me and that immediately became my first choice of school because I was like mostly drawn to the fact that everybody gets to finish four student films per year. And that was like what I was kind of already really interested in doing is making my own 
animation or something and I can actually have a school now help me get better in my entire craft while actually having a completed project to show like at this stage in life a story artist like concept design designer character designer like all of that was not even in my brain yet I was just like oh, I could finish like a video for once <laughs> great <laughs> and yeah that was like the top school then other schools that were on my list were the school of visual arts in New York City because I lived in New York and you know if I got into that one then I don't have to move I also applied to Sheridan in Canada Savannah College of Art and Design in mm -hmm. Savannah and Ringling and I think those were yeah the five schools I applied to and I got into so there was a time in life where I got into all of them except Sheridan and Sheridan was just posting wow. me on a wait list and I was like okay well whatever I guess if I got into CalArts like I'll just go there but yeah. like there was something about Sheridan too that really appealed to me because I always found that the quality of the work finished at Sheridan seemed to be like a little bit more refined and like a little bit higher quality in my opinion so that kind of really appealed to me but by that time I was just like you know what CalArts is the way to go and that's where I ended up going. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Like, Calexis is a great school. Uh, and it's all like, there's all often like, you know, people online asking like, you know, what should I put in my portfolio and stuff like that? Did you put your animations in your portfolio at all? No, so I actually didn't because I don't know if during that time they even accepted animations or different oh, types of work. All I remembered was my portfolio was almost super fine artsy where I had life drawings or you know observational drawings of people and environments and stuff like that but I didn't have anything that was like oh this is my animation that I once did a long time ago or here's an animation reel and if I did incorporate anything that was somewhat cartoony it would be in the sketchbook because they had this application process where well, this was back then I don't know what it is now where they're like you'll have a portfolio of like different types of life drawings and stuff like that but yeah. then you'll have a sketchbook portion where it's kind of your more casual work but you can also show your more imaginative side there where you can draw like that's where you can do your character design stuff or your cartoony stuff so that's kind of where most of my you know more anime drawings I guess lived but even then I was like trying my best to just not draw anime at all because at that time I literally thought that would be the reason why I wouldn't get in is if I incorporated any hints of anime so I tried to really appeal to like a more western audience in the sketchbook. Interesting oh my gosh yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense though especially at the time. Um, how were what was the first gig that you got and like kind of how did that pan out did you have to wait until the end of CalArts did you kind of jump out a little early how did that work out so basically after I graduated there was around three months of waiting because I I was trying to land on a job so that after I graduated it would line up perfectly mm. but life is not like that and nope. you know I was just like not getting accepted by anything because I started applying maybe in January of my senior or fourth year at CalArts and I was like well I guess I gotta start applying now if I want to land a job by like June or something and <laughs> I was applying to so many random things but nobody would get back to me and stuff like that and I was just like well no one's probably gonna want to just hire like this random graduate without 
any connections or anything because I do find that like you know I never really get jobs through job applications nowadays anyway yes. either Fair. so looking back in time I'm just like how did I think I would even land a job that way when I didn't even know anyone yet so I didn't land on anything until so I graduated May and then it was like super late August to early September that I finally landed a revision story revisionist job at Trash Truck, which was a preschool show at Glen Keane Productions, which was working in conjunction with Netflix animation. And that was like the beginnings of Netflix when it was like all cool and stuff before everything else that happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was a really awesome first gig. I feel like I learned so much on that show. And that was also the show where I started off, started off as a revisionist and then finally like promoted to a storyboard artist. And that's kind of where my story artist career began. Mm. Uh, that's really cool. Do you feel like, um, do you feel like you were prepared for the job after college or I, I'm asking because I feel like sometimes like the job of a revisionist or of a board artist is like specific, but in school, sometimes they don't really like yeah, they don't explain it yeah yeah for sure so it's weird because I feel like I felt prepared on a draftsmanship level where I feel like I got my art to a point where it's very clear and readable and I can draw whatever you tell me to do for the most part like if you describe this I feel like I'm good at kind of reading it and just executing it but I felt like there were things about just working in the pipeline of a studio and on a project that I never learned about in school, which mm. honestly, I feel like a lot of the learning process happened in that first story revisionist gig where it's like, yeah, I could draw things. I could draw what you tell me to draw, but I don't understand entirely why all of these things are happening yet. Like, mm. I think that was when I was learning like, oh, as a story revisionist, you're just kind of doing, like, I knew I was doing fixes, but it was more of like, oh, the timing of when these fixes happen and like where they fit in animatics and like kind of that back and forth between working mm. with the editors, directors and you as a revisionist and where you fit in that pipeline. Like that was kind of where I was still not clear about oh, like, what is my purpose here? Like, I know I'm here to do fixes and stuff, but like in the whole animation pipeline, it's like, I felt like I didn't really learn that until I entered the industry. So I feel like in school, they help you get your skills and like stuff to a good place. But then once it comes to like, oh, your role, your responsibilities and like how you're going to be interacting with these different people on your show is was definitely all learned through working and like even like stuff about the union it's just like yeah. i didn't even know that existed <laughs> yeah, till yeah. i graduated yeah <laughs> yeah that, that's something that we kind of hope that at least this podcast can maybe help with because like um there's just not a lot of resources about like the structure of productions or yeah. or like roles or even like how things break down and like i've talked to younger artists that should know but they still don't even know what like you know originist is or like what the difference is between like background designers or paint but it's not their fault because it's just like schools don't always teach it and yeah that's a shame because that's such a yeah. big part of it exactly that was something that i feel like i hope that maybe the future generations will know about but also there were moments that i do recall like i heard about the union while i was in school but maybe 
the teachers would be like, oh, but be hush hush about it. And I'd be like, why? That feels like some like old school, like, you no, know, yeah. And I, I also understand because like our teachers were of the older generation. So I'm like, yeah. I don't know. Nowadays, it feels definitely more transparent and people are talking about it more openly, like even on their social medias and stuff. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess it's fine to talk about it now. Well, I think that attitude is like a big reason why the union doesn't have as much strength. I feel like that's like a campaign run by the studios, you know, they're like, <laughs> don't talk about the union. It's like, well, who does that benefit except the studios? Yeah, exactly. So well, bizarre. I'm glad that more studios and roles are being unionized now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think also, uh, well, um, unrelated to the union, but something that's really like striking about your career and your personality online is that you you managed to do uh to have like like a day job like a day job in animation like a career in animation even because you went from revisionist to boards to directing um but you also have like a a presence online like a like a really like a strong presence online and i was wondering how do you manage that how do you how and kind of what's been your trajectory online like how have you thought about your your presence online was this something that at first that you always knew you wanted to build or was it something that you kind of stumbled upon you know so it was definitely something that i stumbled upon because well, back then, I would say back in my YouTube days and just being online, I feel like I definitely gained an interest and comfort level of just being just a user online that's a part of some community, but I never had the idea of like growth or growing a following in my mind. Like literally back then I was just a happy old little girl, just not caring about how many followers whatsoever sure. I had and just posting my art. Like mm -hmm. literally, I don't even know or remember what following I had on DeviantArt yeah. or Tumblr because that was just how non-existent that was as a part of my interest back then but so when I first started on Instagram I think I kind of just wanted to resume my mindset of how I was and just being someone who is so open about sharing their art online because I felt like ever since I started going to CalArts I pretty much just disappeared off the internet because mm. I was spending all of my time on my student films and like focusing on schoolwork there was no more time for personal art because by the end of the day I was so sick of drawing and I was like mm. I don't want to draw another goddamn character <laughs> after this whole day like I couldn't even like like I would say CalArts was probably the phase in my life where I had the least amount of personal art. Like if you talk about work outside of, you know, our student films and stuff, but like, it's, you know, I was working, hustling, developing my skills in other realms, I guess. So when I graduated, I was like, I kind of missed that part of me that just shared personal art. And also I don't have a job who's gonna find me? So I felt like there, there were these yeah. two things after I graduated where I was just like, well, I would like to be able to, you know, develop my passion for creating personal art again. And like, for some reason, I just can't find that passion from just drawing in my sketchbook and then closing it and calling it a day. Like for some reason, like sharing it with others and talking about it with others was like a part of that passion for me. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so like, I started to slowly post art again online, but like 
I kind of came back to it a little bit more intimidated because I'm just like, well, now I feel like after going to school and then like, you know, being exposed to so many amazing people, you're just like, well, what am I? Like, who am I to post my art or whatever? (laughs) I know. So like, I would just share my art and just be like, yeah, whatever. And then I kind of gained more motivation to do so because when I graduated, I was like, well, I don't have a job and I desperately need one. And I'm starting to notice that a lot of people in the industry are on Instagram. So I should just follow everyone and just post my art in the hopes that maybe some of them will follow me back and then like be like, hey, would you like to be interviewed for this project and whatever? (laughs) And I mean, I don't think that that was the reason why I got my first job at Trash Truck, but it definitely was my first way of wedging myself into the industry without being like, you know, networking at all of these social events because I definitely am an introvert and I hate going to, like, that is one thing that I'm like kind of happy about not having to do anymore. It's just like going to all of these big events and like just joining these random bubbles and just talking to people and being like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, even though I just got into this conversation or whatever. And instead I felt like Instagram was a good place for me to be like, hi, I exist without having to, do the whole social networking things like here's my art here's my page here's who I am and you know you can dm me or comment or we can just like each other and it's just more subtle interactions that you could do to introduce yourself to people because you know I feel like I've met so much more people through that than going to like social networking events like maybe at a networking event I'll, I'll meet like five people but like online you'll have like maybe 20 people find you in a week or something like that I don't know so that's yeah, kind of it, how it happened. No, it's a more organic way for sure. Like it feels more, maybe even more genuine. Cause yeah, anytime I've had to be, it's got, like you said, I don't have to do it as much and it's just kind of a rare thing now with post COVID, but there's less like meetups, but like, yeah, early on, like I would end up at a lot of these industry parties and, um, man, everyone there just, ha- you can feel the agenda. You can kind of yeah. feel that like everyone's there to network with a capital N and it's exhausting because it's like, I just want to hang out (laughs) and make friends. And then you'd start talking to somebody and like, you mentioned that you're working on some show and they have a little light in their eyes and they're like, Oh, I want to work on that. And you're like, Oh man. All right. Now this is no (laughs) longer like a friendly conversation. This is like, yeah, exactly. I'm just like, yeah, I think that's the thing I like about social media, you know, despite social media also having its own little sure. thing now, I feel it's like... It's a nightmare, yes. Yeah. Well, what is it's, it? It's still just, I feel like, a more chill way to just be like, hi, this is who I am and this is what I do. And we can just admire each other without, like, I don't know, From talking far. about our resumes as our main conversation point. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I agree with all that. It, it's um, It's nice. I mean, for us even, like... Uh, even this podcast again, like it was a, a way for us to just like keep in touch with our friends and, you know, we were all in lockup. And so we were like, Hey, we have all these friends. Like, what if we just started reaching out and like just talking to them for a little bit? And it was just like, <laughs> nice to have a place to just chat about like what we're going through and, you know, industry things and not have this like burden on us to, to network and stuff. So 
I get it. Yeah. I and think like it's people, a very smart approach. Yeah. And like nowadays people can just learn about all of these big creators too, just through someone like your podcast or something, instead of being like, the only way I can get information out of them is like talking to them or something. Cause I remembered, I listened to, I don't know, there was a podcast with Glenn Keane a long time ago where he was like back in his day, he had to like literally go to the studio and talk to people. And I'm just like, I would I not be that. able to survive in this day and age like that. I just, I like, I just don't think any, it's funny when you hear stories from like you know the old days and people will be like i went to the studio and i dropped my portfolio in yeah. front of like the, it's like <laughs> don't do that like don't do that anymore i don't know how that was okay back then but that is like psychotic behavior now like i think it's like you, at the time it wasn't it like animation wasn't in the spotlight as much so it totally. was really people that were extremely interested in the craft that would do that yes. but yeah 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 i know what you mean yeah, that's like stalker shit now. Don't, don't I think it's it. the yeah. Clay Cadis podcast, right, Michelle? Like the Clay Cadis interviewing all the animators. And I think like, so. I, I listened to that one too. And yeah, that I was, was like, like what I listened to before I like got to school and everything. I was yeah. like, oh, this is what all those people do. And then once it's my turn to start working, I'm like, wow, all of this information is irrelevant now. <laughs> Yeah, that's why we. I also wanted to do creative block because I was like, I want to talk to artists who got a job, like who got their start in animation recently. So like the information is a little bit more accurate. Yeah, yeah. That's what I appreciate about like your podcast and other people who are starting to make some sort of presence online who also works in animation. Because I feel like this is something that nobody really ever talked about. It also in this modern age, I feel like it's getting trickier to, I don't know, break in. Like it's like, oh, now you got to like do all yeah. of these tiktoks or whatever just yeah. to be noticed and it's just like what so i don't know it's nice to have younger people who are like going through the motion of the ocean with like like mm. a generation that's just a little bit closer to the upcoming generation instead of like i don't know having someone that's the age of your parents or your grandparents who's like yeah, yeah. that's how you get it and i'm like what <laughs> Yeah, that's so true. That's why you mentioned TikTok as well. So um, so you started on YouTube and then you went on to Instagram. And what would you say is your favorite like social media platform right now? So it's weird because I think YouTube is my favorite platform, but I'm not as consistent with that as I am on Instagram because I feel like on Instagram, for some reason, it is easier for me to just make comics. And that is just what I know how to do best. And mm -hmm. I feel like I know my audience on Instagram a little bit better. And I feel like, you know, comics are very close to storyboarding and that's my skill. And mm -hmm. YouTube is like video editing and talking. And I wouldn't like, I don't think video editing is that like, strenuous for me especially a lot of my stuff is just cutting i'm not doing any crazy visual effects but it's just like the energy of like oh, time to set up my camera and to like yeah you have to like be like ready and have the energy and just i don't know there's just a lot of your physical involvement needed yeah, yeah. and i'm like oh that's just so tiring but i love watching youtube videos but it's just so Same, exhausting yeah. to make them yeah because it, it requires more like I don't know presentation i guess like it yeah. it demands it almost uh where it's funny it didn't used to be that way i feel like youtube back in those early days you talked about like you could just kind of make like a little vlog you know and people made their careers on that but as time went on it's like there's so much competition that you have to do this whole like mm. 
preparation. Everything has to be like nice and professional. So you can. Yeah. Like there's just like the smallest things. Whenever I film a video, sometimes I'm just like, is my room clean? Like, is it messy? Oh, yeah. It's just like <laughs> stuff like that makes me so self-conscious. Like, I feel like most people don't care about it, but I'm just like, if my room is messy and I have like tissues, like lying in the back, I just feel like, oh my God, I have to clean that up in addition to getting ready to film the video. Whereas like, you know, if I'm going to just make a comic, I don't have to get ready. I don't have to do anything. I could just draw and that's what makes it easier for me to post on Instagram versus YouTube. But I do feel like I find more enjoyment being on YouTube than on Instagram. Mm, interesting. Is that because of um of the engagement of the like the, the fans or is it just like you do you like the content better? On YouTube I feel like well I enjoy watching like you know, things that are more in depth and stuff. Mm. Like if I watch a video, I'm literally like watching this whole person talk about their days or like their, yeah. I don't know. I feel like you could find anything and like the search engine is better on YouTube where you're like, I, if I want to look up, up this story artist's career and they have a YouTube channel, I could just look it up. And if I randomly just feel like watching something about a home renovation next, I could look it up. Like <laughs> I know where to go on YouTube. That's powered by Google. I mean, yeah. For that, yeah. And Instagram is more like, yeah, like I just, I'm there to follow people that I'm already following. And it's like, and then I'll just be shown random shit that Instagram wants to show me. And I'm like, I guess I'll just be interested in this randomly now. Like, I feel like I have less of a choice on Instagram, but on YouTube, mm. I feel like I have yeah, more of a, a choice. A feed, right? Like Instagram and, and Twitter is like, it, it is a feed and YouTube kind of tries to do that, but it never really works. And so YouTube, I feel like is more, it, it almost rewards deeper engagement with like specific channels. You know, you like, yeah. you have to um, get invested, but because there is not really like a feed you can flip through. Yeah. Um, but Instagram, it, I have a, that. It, the yeah. million dollar question for you, Michelle, is like, do you like the new algorithm on Instagram? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I don't know who does. Yeah, I, I'm asking because I've noticed, okay, this is going to be crazy, but I've noticed for myself and a couple of my comics friends, the algorithm has actually been playing in our favor, like posts for me that used to uh, barely reach 1K now can go all the way up to 6k which i was just like really floored but i've noticed some other creators are like no my stuff gets lost now and i was just kind of i've also kind of started using new hashtags i've started hashtagging my my comics with my ocs and i wonder if that's helped or not but when i look into the posts it's like it's all coming from the explore so i was just wondering if like you like what your thoughts were on like kind of like posting and like the feed and, and all of that stuff. Yeah. And if you feel so, like you are pressured to do videos. <laughs> yeah. So one, yes, I do feel pressure to make videos and reels now, which is why I, I like literally just started last month after the past two years of it being existent. Cause I think when it first came out, I was like, oh, is this really going to be a thing? Like, I wasn't sure if this is just a fad for that moment or how permanent this is going to be on social media when TikTok boomed over the beginnings of the pandemic. But it seems like it's been sticking around for the past two years so far. And I do notice that when I make posts now, like, I feel like I still get pretty fair amount of engagement and likes depending on the content of 
the comic I make. Like usually my comics are always what does the best because there's a story, there's a narrative, there's a thing that is somewhat relatable to somebody out there. Yeah, and I feel like you have, yeah, you have yeah. more chances to relate to someone when you have 10 panels of something to explain a story. Like, well, someone's got to relate to at least one of these moments in <laughs> this comic. And then I feel like when I just do an illustration, it's like, it doesn't do like the best. It'll do like, okay. But I kind of post it knowing that that's what's going to happen. And I don't know, but I feel like illustrations are better for my mental health just because I'm like, well, I only have to do one drawing nowadays. So that makes me a little feel, feel a little calmer to just like, oh, I could do something to satisfy the algorithm, but I probably won't get the same amount of engagement, which is what I tend to notice with reels is that they, my reels don't do as well as my comics at all, in my opinion. But for some reason, ever since I started doing them, like, Instagram has been pushing out my page and my stuff to people more and stuff like that. Interesting. And like, I think in your insights, you can see like what posts are bringing like more people to you and yeah. stuff like that. And when I see my comics, like for the most part, like they do like decent and stuff. And my pre-existing following is still like, you know, liking my stuff and engaging with it, which is great. And I'm like super appreciative of that. But then when I notice like the reels, it's like, that's when I notice like random other people are coming and stuff like that. So yeah, so I'm, I don't know. I don't really know what's happening. So I'm just still experimenting with it now and just seeing how it goes with keeping doing reels. But I wish that there was a world where I didn't have to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean. I've been thinking about that as well. I've been like, yeah. should I, should I? And I've seen like some of my comics friends who do they hire like voice actors to read the comics and uh and i i think that's been performing really well on tiktok um oh my gosh yes and like i know there's this artist that i follow named what's up beanie i don't i was thinking of her <laughs> yeah i just like she literally animates everything and i'm like girl how do you do it because literally with like working in animation now and it's just like all the other things going on in my life i'm just like animating something is literally the last thing i want to do like i refuse to get to yeah. that stage yeah. where i have to open up tv paint again and be like well welcome back CalArts or something <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it requires too much it, it's it's um it's a beast that needs feeding the yeah. the algorithm and so it's like Kudos to anybody, you know, you and, and other people who like have the the mental capacity, I guess, to to like keep up with that stuff. Because for me, it's exhausting. Like, yes, I, yes, it feels like a, a second job and you're already working a job. So that it must be it must be a lot. Do yes. you have like a way to organize these things? Do you have like spreadsheets of like how things should kind of be released or is it just improvised? So a lot of it is honestly improvised. Like literally, I still need to get my, I still need to improve my Excel skills. So I have no mm -hmm. spreadsheets going on in my life, but I do have, I like work better when I can handwrite my plans and like scribble my thoughts. So I have a lot of random notebooks of just like, I write down all of my ideas for my comics and my reels and my videos because like, I think I'm going to remember it for the future. I'll be like, yeah, I'll remember this by like next month to film this video. But it's like when the time comes, I'll be like, what, what, what was I going to do again? So I just create a list of everything that I would like to do at some point. And then I will then kind of just 
put it out on like a monthly calendar and be like, oh, this is when I could make a video like this or post a video like that. And I would say that mostly applies to my comics and my YouTube videos and stuff because those are my more official feeling types of content. But when it comes to reels and TikToks, those are totally like, if I find an audio that sounds good, I'll think of something or something along the way. And I'll try to maybe accumulate maybe three to five of them and just have those ready so that I don't have to like keep doing them on the spot out of pressure to post something a week. But I feel like the way that I'm trying to do reels is just by using pre-existing content and just recycling what I already have instead of just like making a brand new thing for this. Cause I was like, I refuse to make new stuff for this. How can I recycle what I already have going on and create something with reels out of that? So that's kind of what I've been doing for that. And so when it comes to my comics and videos, I plan those out a little bit more like officially, but then with the shorter short form content i'm just more improvising and being like well i'm just experimenting yeah that makes Um, a lot of sense yeah that's actually really smart (laughs) very smart uh we had some so uh you had asked your instagram for questions um and we uh grabbed the ones that we thought were the most interesting yes um from at hebe frog how do you come up with ideas for posts so on my Instagram, I usually just kind of already have a list that basically anytime I think about something that, you know, made me angry or like really had an emotional punch in my life or something, I just write it down. Like, for example, I feel like anytime I talk about the struggles of just being a female or a feminine presenting person, and it's just like you deal with street harassment or you, I don't know, you might have UTIs or something like that. <laughs> I feel like for some reason that's a struggle that I don't, I don't see like any comic artists really making a story about their UTIs. So I was like, I'll talk about, I know. So I was like, you know what? I like, I treat my stuff kind of like a diary. And anytime I deal with something that's like, oh, well, this was an annoying thing that happened. I'll make a comic out of it. Time to turn something negative into something positive. Or it's like, oh, if there was something really funny in my life that happened where I feel like other people could also relate to this that I noticed, like, for example, wearing black all the time. And then one day you're just like, I want to wear pink. And then your friend's just like, what the hell's wrong with you? Where's the Michelle that I know? Or something like that. So that that's something that I'm just like, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people who feel that way too. Cause I know a lot of people out there who just resort to wearing black all the time. Yeah. Me. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's a great fashion choice. It's, you don't have it, to think about it. It looks good with everything. I yeah, know, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's just like stuff like that. The moment I think about it or the moment I'm just like, yeah, that would be a really funny idea or, oh, that would be such a sad idea or, oh my gosh, this angers me. And I hope that it angers other people out there. (laughs) I will just write it down. And, you know, anytime I'm just like, okay, it's time to make a comic. I open up the list and I'm like, which one, which idea am I feeling the most? And I don't pressure myself to be like, I have to do it in the order of the ways that I came up with these ideas. I'm just like, whichever one I'm feeling, I will do. Cause all of these ideas, there was one point in my life where I felt really strongly about them. So yeah, whatever. And then with my YouTube videos, it tends to be more of like, based on questions I get frequently asked. And that's kind of how I base off my videos is because like people always ask me about like, oh, how do you manage you know, doing social media and a job and book and yeah. what. So yeah, that's kind of how I think of the content to create. Mm, yeah, very cool. Um, 
from at Alina BLZH. Any differences between your approach to working on your own content versus a studio? So I love working on my own content because nobody is telling me what to do (laughs) except me. And it's definitely a more relaxing experience because I don't have the pressures of, you know, a studio that is making me release something at a certain time or I don't know. So I think when I work on my own stuff, I feel more real and honest with what I'm doing because I'm like, this is my life. Like this is the realest it can get. But with a studio, sometimes it's like, I have to draw someone else's idea. That is something that I'm like, I think this idea is dumb, but whatever they're paying me. So yay. (laughs) So (laughs) I think that at a studio, you know, a lot of people, I am grateful to be working in animation. And I think for the most part, it is like a great job. And I get to really exercise my skills and passion for drawing and cinematography and just movies and whatnot. But at the same time, like it's still something that you're really just drawing to create somebody else's vision. Like even when you're directing or something, you're still kind of directing for someone else's vision for the Mm -hmm. most part. And even sometimes as the showrunner in this day and age of IP, you're like, well, I'm not even running my own show anymore. running some person's book at this rate yeah so Mm -hmm. so yeah that's why I feel like despite having a job in animation it is very liberating to just have my own outlet where I create my own stuff where nobody is telling me what to do and it's just my own little sandbox that other people can witness yeah I like that that sounds nice yeah good way to think of it very sandbox that other people can witness yeah (laughs) um from at Saya Wada how do you build self-confidence with your art Well, I think like, I don't know if I ever really built self-confidence. It's just more like I just built the ability to not care anymore. Hey, that is, I think that is confidence. Yeah. Yeah, Like, I don't know. I still feel like insecure about my art sometimes because I feel like once you develop a sort of brand, it's kind of like, oh, you have to kind of stick to it, especially on social media. And it's like, with social media being such a great form of artists being able to develop their own brand or business, it's kind of like, well, you kind of have to stick to it and you can't just suddenly throw out some traditional painting on a day that you feel like exercising your painting skills and people just be like, what, what is this? So sometimes when I just think about like, oh, there could have been so many paths where I could have just really developed my painting skills, my design skills, my animation skills. Like there's so many worlds of art that I feel like, oh my God, I suck at painting, coloring, blah, blah, blah. And that's something that I could always improve on, but that's literally not even my focus. So I'm just like, uh, I just draw cartoons and stuff. And I think that's still really cool, but I feel like there are just days when you just get sick of looking at your own stuff that you're like, oh my God, this is dumb. And I don't know. It's like, I'll have waves of being like, yeah, I like my work today. This is pretty badass. And then I'll have days where I'm like, this sucks. I'm dumb. Whatever. Who am I? I should just stop drawing or whatever. And then I'll have days again where I'm just like, yeah, you know what? It's fine. It's whatever. I get paid to do this. (laughs) And I can go on vacations. (laughs) So yeah, that's kind of like my, it's just a roller coaster ride. And I never really feel like I fully was like, yeah, I'm confident all day. Every day It's just more like, you know, I will care some days. I will not care some days, but you know what? Once life starts becoming a bigger thing and you start becoming an adult, you're just like, whatever. Art doesn't even matter anymore. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, that was something that like, uh, for me, at least like during the pandemic, like it was such a tough slowdown. And it's like, I, I assume we all kind of lost a lot of energy and it was hard to, to give a shit about like making things. And, um, 
but something I like worked through with, I, I went to therapy, <laughs> um, but the therapist was like, well, you, you got to embrace that like roller coaster, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, once you embrace it and you know that there's going to be those lows, it's easier to get through them because it's like, I just got to like, you, you kind of have to just let it, write it out and let it flow through you, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, it's unavoidable. Like you're going to, sometimes you're yeah. going to feel like shit. <laughs> You're going to feel yeah, bad about exactly. You exactly. And I feel like that was kind of like how I felt about this year where I'm just like, there are so many things that just happen. And just like, for example, just getting health insurance is such a basic yeah. adult thing to do, but it's just like, oh my God, it's just such a process that you just get yeah. so stressed out about it that I'm like, I can't care about drawing right now. Whatever no, I draw is what you get, bitch. So. Yeah. <laughs> Put that on a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, no, I, I got to worry about my health insurance. I can't care about how good this drawing looks. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Like life is always going to be there and it's going to slow you down. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, you just, and it's, it gets to a little annoying when people, you know, it's great that there's fans online and people want to see more stuff from you. But when they start to feel entitled, that always gets a little under my skin because it's like, guys, like I'm providing you this stuff for free. Like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like I have exactly. my life to live. That's, what I, that's why I wish that more artists, like I totally understand that putting themselves out like on the camera and like talking to people is like intimidating. Like it was also very intimidating for me, but I feel like the one thing that always brought me comfort was seeing that, oh, artists have their own lives. They're just not drawing machines or whatever. And like during one of my internships at Disney, I just talked to one of like the people there and I was like, so what do you do like fun? Like, do you draw for fun anymore? And they're like, no, I just like to look at furniture online. And I'm just like, (laughs) same now. Like, I'm just like, same. And I wish like more artists can show that side of themselves online where they're just like, yeah, you know what? I'm not drawing all the time. You know, sometimes I actually do dishes and laundry, you know, yeah. the crazy world we live God, in. God, I hope so. Please do your dishes and laundry. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's funny because uh, when you read like the, in, in mangas, like the sections, manga kids kind of like describe their life and show their schedules. Yes. You're, you're like, oh, yeah. well, if I have to be, if I want to be a manga, I have to be a machine. And it's like, hmm, I don't know if that's healthy. They're miserable. Yeah. Like, I know. Not- Oh my god like they always talk about like their deadlines and they're like i have to like finish this whole freaking book in like a month or something talking about books real fast can you tell us a little bit about how getting your book deals kind of happened did you have to like seek out an agent like a representation or um how was yeah. the process like for you so that was one of the wonders that kind of came out of my Instagram account, because yeah, first kind of was more for landing a job in animation. But then after I kind of built some momentum on just growing there, it started bringing me these other random opportunities that were not directly related to animation. So somebody came from Penguin Random House and saw my comics and was just like, hey, Michelle, would you like to publish a middle grade graphic novel? I saw your work and we would really love to work with you. And I was like, oh my gosh, and I actually turned it down at first. Really? I just, I know, I know. I, who was I? <laughs> I first, like, this is when I first started working on Trash Truck and I just landed my first job in animation. I was like, this is what I wanted uh, all my life. And then now so suddenly someone's trying to distract me. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> so, so. At first, I was like, I really just want to focus on getting some momentum on this career I have been trying to break into for so long. So I was like, okay, can you just like 
can we resume this conversation later? Like, I really love that idea. But like right now, I just feel like I need to focus on this one thing that I've been dying to do for so long. She's like, yeah, sure. Anytime. So then I actually reached out back to her like a few months later. I think she reached out to me in like March. And then I reached out back to her in September. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I would be interested in doing a book. What should I do? And she was an editor, but I feel like she was good because she was actually like hey so if you want to publish a book I highly recommend you look for an agent because mm-hmm. they'll know how to like handle everything yeah. and stuff because you know some artists can get deals but just get totally ripped off because they don't yep. understand the world of publishing which is its own industry so far and different from animation that I'm just like I would not have even Skillshare could not teach me how to deal with yeah. the publishing world <laughs> like there's nothing that I could do that could help me learn about this world so So this person ended up recommending like this agency and stuff. And I interviewed with this one agent there who is like, honestly, I love her. She's like, she has helped me through so much and understand so much about the publishing world that I would not have understood. So basically I had an interview with this agent and we talked to like, see if I would like her and like, like, like the fact that, oh, you're going to be taking a commission off of like my work and stuff and making sure like, you know, everything is going to be fair because at this stage I had no idea about anything. So after having a few discussions, I ended up deciding like, you know what? She seems fine. She seems great. I'll work with her. So I ended up signing with this agency called Greenhouse Literary. And, you know, they have a great like portfolio of different authors and stuff. So after I got along with them. Then we went back to Penguin Random House and we we're like, here's a pitch for this whole like story idea that I have, which is now called Mish the Bad Demon coming out March, 2023. Check it out when it wow, comes out. That's yeah, soon. Yeah, so <laughs> I know it's next year. It's coming like literally in a few months, but yeah. So it's kind of similar to animation in the sense that you build a pitch bible but you don't have to like show art because the great thing about publishing is people just are okay with reading without any pictures whatsoever so i had to just write this whole like pdf and your agent helps you write this really like ego boosting thing (laughs) michelle lamb worked at netflix animation she has this number of followers and she put all your highlights out there yeah she's just like your cheerleader and i was like oh my god i don't think i could have even talked about myself like no that's why those people are there yeah that's yeah so i highly recommend getting an agent and by the time we like finally landed the deal and then they were like, yes, we love this idea. We'll totally do it. They're still back and forth because once they present a contract to you, your agent will know like, oh, this isn't fair. This is fair. This is something that you should not be getting paid. This is... And like, there were things about like, I don't know, translation rights and stuff that I literally don't understand. And she was just like, sure. yeah, no, we have to rework this part of the contract. I'm not accepting this. And I'm like, okay, I trust you. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah that was kind of how I my Instagram is really the source of how I was even noticed to be considered to publish a book. And then after that is how is when I like worked out all the agents and Mm. I don't know, all the technical stuff afterwards. That's really cool. Do you, that's a, uh, do you have another agent for animation or are you just like on your own for animation? So right now in animation, I'm on my own just because Mm. I don't really know, like, what I would need an agent for yet Mm. I can see like maybe if I wanted to pitch a show or something that could be really useful Mm -hmm. but I'm also very 
unsure about the state of animation right now, seeing that most of their shows are either adaptations of pre-existing things and it's like yep. original content is not doing as well now as a creator. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure there are still a lot of great original animations being made and stuff, but I just see like the majority of things are no longer just like done in the, here, I have an idea, look at this. And they're like, yeah, like it's not that simple yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. No, it's tough right now. Totally agree. That's why you're really smart for doing the book because they're going to yeah. buy the rights to the books. Yeah, because I was just yeah, like- it's a back door. Yeah, because in, yeah, in the beginning, I wasn't really even thinking about it too, but it kind of like the whole like IP thing kind of became more prominent as I was working on the book more. And I was just like, you know what? Like, I think working on this book is just a good idea, not just as like, you know, a financial like backup for like, you know, in case of animation, you don't have a job for a moment, you still have the book, but it's also like, you know, if you do want to pitch this idea someday to a studio, it's like, yeah, you could pitch it. And if it doesn't work out well, you still have a book. So whatever. (laughs) Yeah, totally. That's really really great especially middle grade books are like yeah yep yeah I'm just like oh my gosh I didn't know like like I knew that as a middle grade student myself I read a lot of comics but I didn't didn't know how big of a thing it would be nowadays it's cool I mean it's uh it's a really like booming industry and it's uh yeah I'm seeing a lot of animation people um kind of find a new like side hustle in uh in that sphere and i also agree yeah. like when you what you were talking about earlier where it's like when you work on your own stuff like you're your own boss you make all of your creative decisions and that's like the best feeling ever because like when you're working in animation and like you said you always have to at the end of the day it's not like you add a little tiny bit of your vision but it's not your vision and yeah um, yeah, yeah exactly it's like I like I feel like when I'm doing my book I actually feel like I am pretty much directing my own project it's like you don't have all the Mm -hmm. zoom meetings with like the VizDev team and editors and stuff like that for sure but it's like you're still pretty much just like you have like a designer who helps you with your I don't know like the whole like branding or like the physical book look itself and stuff like that that's cool and you're like working with all of these people and it all of this has mostly been through email and I'm just like as an introvert this has been an a very lovely experience to not be on a zoom call and have like sure. have decisions be made on the spot it's like I could think about it I could email it back in an essay and thankfully because everyone in publishing is really good with reading long emails they don't care if you send an essay <laughs> and stuff like that so I don't know it's been a really a really nice like creative outlet to just be like wow there's a team that's just so willing to just bring your vision to life and not really have too many qualms about it. Like your editor is mainly the person who will work with you on a creative level and be like, oh, here are the story things that maybe we could rework and blah, blah, blah. And I feel like those conversations are very similar to the ones you may have like between the directors and showrunner and stuff like that. But it's just like, it's just me and the editor and it's a very intimate just space to just talk about ideas without too many other ideas coming into the picture. So yeah, it's very nice. Yeah. Um, we had another question regarding the book uh, from at Cherub Punk U. Uh, what did you struggle with slash find most intimidating in regards to writing your book? Uh, I think the most intimidating thing is definitely the thoughts of making something super outstanding or Oscar winning in the book world or something where people, I feel like whenever you have this opportunity to create this big project or idea you're just like oh my god this shit better be the best thing that knocks everyone off their feet (laughs) and I feel like that's my problem with everything is 
like I'm like oh my gosh if I make if I have this opportunity I'm I have to make it like fucking amazing no matter what but as I make the book I go through the same roller coaster as I go through in life with my regular art where I have days where I'm like this stuff is great then I have the next day where I'm like this is so dumb like why did I even get this book deal then the next day I'll be like yeah it's like okay you know what whatever I'm sure this book will just get like at least a decent amount of sales I don't know and it's just that pressure of feeling like you need to create something so different and out of this world but I feel like working in animation actually helped me with that therapeutically where I was on a show where the showrunner and directors were just like, hey, we're not here to like create something so original that will blow people off their feet. We're just here to tell a good story. We don't care if it's predictable. If you at least just enjoyed the process of watching this, that's all that matters. And I was like, wow, that was so inspiring. And I really kind of just brought that into my book as well, where I'm just like, you know what, I'm not here to like create something that is so different and so outstanding. I just want to create a good story. And I had a good time doing it and I got paid and someone out there hopefully will be inspired by it. And, you know, great, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really, that's really great advice and just really great thought in general. Cause I feel it's like at the end of the day, you want you're reading a story just so you have something to like relate to or find like an interesting point of view, but it doesn't have to like break your brain. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's like really cool to see the films or stories out there nowadays that, you know, really are just like, wow, mind blowing. But I feel like, you know, what tends to usually be my favorite types of content are like content that's just like, you know, it was good. Like I enjoyed my time just, experiencing it i don't i didn't need to like be thrown on planet mars or something to love Mm -hmm. it or anything so yeah i feel like that was just very liberating and recently i just went out to go watch the minions and it was just simple Mm -hmm. silliness and i felt like i was like wow that was just so liberating for me to just watch that you know people just people just made this cute silly film I think it's really funny it's like minions are really like they're like the new kind of like they're not cool but they're like kind of like accepted now (laughs) I don't know about that I don't know about that no and I mean in in, in waves yeah in the general public I don't know I've I've seen online more and more people been like I unironically like the minions (laughs) (laughs) I know I actually think about that too where on a daily basis I don't really think about them and I'm I'm not like oh my gosh I need to get a plush of it but it's like when I'm watching it I'm just like oh you know what they're actually kind of funny (laughs) they're very appealing designs I mean there's a reason why um it's so huge like it's an appealing design they uh they've marketed the shit out of them mm-hmm. um, yeah they did I think for I've sure talked about it i think i've talked about it in the podcast but maybe i haven't but i live like pretty close to universal city in um in la whatever and uh there is a like huge minion cutout thing that they put on top of one of the buildings and you can see it from my balcony. Oh and my God. so the minion is just my overlord and looks <laughs> over me. And so I think I have a complicated relationship with minions. I know exactly where you are peering that is. into my yeah. yeah. So yes. It is uh I have I have mixed feelings. Um but I, I feel like it is kind of interesting, huh? Like the, it to me it comes in waves because I feel like anytime there's a new movie, the marketing does really well in making people feel excited about it and so you get this like unironic sort of I I still think it's tinged with irony I think I think a lot of people have just like forgotten to be 
facetious about it. And ah. So it's just like, hell yeah, minions. And it's like, you're, you're, are you sure? Are you sure you're into minions? Because you're like a grown ass adult. But like, um, but yeah, I mean, they're appealing, you know, like there's, there's something. It, it wouldn't be such a huge franchise. If they yeah, were for sure. Um, we had uh, some questions from our uh, Creative Block Discord. If you uh, donate even a dollar to our uh, Patreon, you get access to the Discord. So come, come on in there. Um, from Joe Benson, V really loves this question. <laughs> um, here's a, a hard one, hopefully not too uncomfortable. Since Michelle, you've worked at Tidmouse and such, has there ever been discussion to why male nudity is funny, but not female? Why male, have I had that? Wait, was the question, did I have that discussion? I think just or your what thoughts. Yeah, I guess like, has there ever been discussion at Titmouse regarding why male nudity is funny, but not female? But I think it's more just, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I see. I, I never had that discussion. Like, I feel like when I was at Titmouse, I was still technically, we were like so separated because we were in our own building. Uh, I was on Arlo at that time. And that was also like a Netflix mm. thing. So we were just like, our in our own building. So I felt so separated. But I guess my thoughts on it is because I guess like female bodies, there's just so much like, there's a lot of like, I don't, I don't even know if it's politics or just like things that, you know, women have dealt with in the past that is just like, oh my God, it's hard to like find it funny anymore sometimes yeah. with like, I don't know, somehow I actually took this whole class in CalArts about, you know, how females are presented in cinema. And it's just like at this day and age, I feel like sometimes people are going to, you know, be a little bit more critical with how women are presented nudity wise on screen. And I feel like people are a little bit more edgy about that and stuff because, you know, people, women could be easily sexualized and this could yeah. cause more problems for women or female presenting people. And it's just, yeah. there's just so much like, I don't know, stuff that could be problematic with it. Whereas guys, I feel like obviously like throughout time, you you're able to just go out to the beach and just be topless. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you have moobs or man boobs, like haha, funny, but like yeah. mm -hmm. if a girl walked around with her boobs, I was like, oh my God, put that away. What are you doing? Yeah. You're crazy. And it's just like, there's just so much like, I don't know, hardships involved with just existing in a female body that is just mm -hmm. like, oh, it's so hard to laugh about it anymore. Unless if you are all people who have probably shared the same struggles and you can just laugh about it together or something like that. I feel like that's why nowadays with these like more female driven shows and like girls are able to finally talk about, you know, female problems or something like that. And it's relatable and it's actually finally brought into the light and people can, you know, relate to it in that sense. I feel like it's funny, but when it's just like, haha, boobs, it's just like, okay, nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I saw that question, I was like, two words, patriarchy, male gaze. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting question because I think what you're saying, everything is true. And it's also this thing where it's like, I think we, women have been kept out of public discourse for such a long time. They've only been allowed in public discourse in the past, maybe 70 years, 50 years. It's yeah. pretty yeah. recent. So up until that point, it was all like, like I think men had the luxury of joking on those subjects. And up until then, like women didn't really have the, the place to do that. So we were like the butt of the joke, 
but we weren't able to be kind of like a little bit more involved in like what the joke could be. I think that's definitely. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's just like, oh, dur during those times, women had to focus more on just like hiding their boobs to just feed their children or something. Yeah. Instead right. of like, we don't have time for jokes. We're like worrying about what society is going to say. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, so, I'm not even sure how to like fix that over time because the it, it almost feels like the the bigger problem is like treating nudity as a joke, you know, because if you start trying to put any kind of like it's like you said you put any comedy on any kind of female nudity and it seems really like insulting most of the time. It's like there's really no there's really no way to to correct that that I can think of, but I'm also not a woman, so I don't know. Yeah. Also, I feel like there are so many people from Gen Z nowadays who make these very critical like videos analyzing films and like, yeah, the male gaze on female bodies in films mm -hmm. and stuff. And they would like nitpick on like all of these scenes and movies that's like, oh, this this is like problematic because you're just focusing on this girl's body instead of her character and stuff in which I totally agree with but it's just like I feel like it makes it harder to make jokes too about it knowing yeah. that you know people are going to be watching these things with a more critical eye yeah, and like so you know heavy, we're, yeah. we're gonna have more sensitive viewers too so like yeah I feel like I could find female body jokes funny when I'm like talking to you know another girl and we're just like oh yeah like period suck or something like that I don't know like something about periods because it's understood but when it's just like oh just objectifying it's like oh that could be questionable yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I was just watching uh I've been catching up on Tuca and Birdie and um there was a scene where Tuca just is nude and it's not treated in any kind of sexual way she's just standing there and talking to uh to Speckle to Birdie's boyfriend and like he doesn't care, he doesn't he doesn't mention it at all. And it was like funny to me that she was just standing there with her like tits and ass out. And it was oh just my like, God. and I was like, okay, like it's to me it was like, okay, so she's a character who has embraced her own sexuality and her own body, and so her just standing there, it, if that was a male character, it would be funny. But it was just as funny because it's Tuca, and it's like I feel like that maybe because it's animated, it helps. But and it, she's like a bird. And she's but, also, yeah. I don't know, I, I feel, that's a step in the right direction, I feel like. It's like grounding in character, you know? Yeah, I also right. just feel like the fact that it's like, you know, if they just presented her like that, she's just existing, just doing her thing, like, that's great. Because I feel like that should be more normalized. It's like just female bodies. It's just like, I don't know why people are so scared of, like, boobs or something. And I think Miley Cyrus once made this comment about, like, it's not the boobs people are afraid of, it's the nipple or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's true, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the nipple that's always getting censored, right? Like the female. Yeah, exactly. Where I'm what just a, like, what a stupid thing. I also just feel so desensitized because, you know, as an artist, you take so many life drawing classes. That I'm yeah. like, a body is a body at this day and age. <laughs> so it's like, I feel like more people, I feel like more people should be exposed to like all naked bodies, honestly. Like, yes. But not yeah. everybody is an artist. So not everybody gets that experience. But for me, I'm just like, literally, for like freaking 10 years of my life, I just looked at naked people. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I yeah. feel it's also, I think it's the secrecy. It's just the taboo around it. It's just like, yeah, for you sure. know, yeah. hide, hide all that skin and that hair. We don't want yeah. to The more you hide it away, the, the more taboo it becomes. And so yeah. it's, it's a self-fulfilling thing. I know. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, I feel like people should just, I don't know. We all, we're all naked. So whatever, we're just hiding it with clothes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we're all born naked. Yeah. Um, and the rest is drag. Um, from 
at brother to drummer, or I guess just user brother to drummer. Uh, with your hands in many different aspects of the industry, do you enjoy doing anything completely unrelated, like playing a sport or playing an instrument or something of the sort? Okay, well, this is my, this is, has not been released yet, but I will make this podcast the first place where I yes, come out to say, <gasps> I have recently got it into slime. <laughs> oh, okay. nice. Yes. <laughs> I, I am becoming a slime collector and nobody knows except like five people in my life. Oh boy. <laughs> now seven. <laughs> yeah. Now, a, now like, what is it? 5,000? I don't know. Yeah. And then soon to be, a, soon to be a quite good amount of people will know. <laughs> But go on. Why slime? So I feel like this year has been a roller coaster for me. And I'm just like, literally like going back to talking about like, oh, do you like feel insecure about your art? I feel like this was one of the years where I'm just like, art was like the last thing I was stressed about just because there were so many like random life events that happened. It was like my sister got into a car accident. My oh, house geez. was like flooded. It was like a lot of adult stuff happening that just you know, happens to like everyone at some point in their life. And it's like, oh, sure. health insurance, great, cool. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was so hard for me to just relax and just be chill and find enjoyment in like anything, because I feel like I have a problem where I want to always monetize my hobbies because I'm just like, yeah. there's so much potential that can happen with something that you love to do, which is exactly what happened to my Instagram and comics. It was just once a place for me to just post my personal art. And now it's the place where I'm just like, well, I hope I get a few sponsorships this year or something. And obviously, like, I think it's great to be supported, like have your hobby supported with money and stuff. But it's just like, I feel like once that pressure exists in everything you do, you just won't like purely love anything just for the sake of only loving it anymore. So yeah. I was just like, I just need to find new hobbies that are totally unrelated to making money. And that's when I started watching all of these slime ASMR videos online because I felt like, you know, it used to be really weird to me. I used to just see them and I'm like, oh, that's so weird. But then now I'm just like, oh my God, it's so relaxing to just focus on this one thing. It makes crunchy sounds and you can squish it and all of this stuff. So I ended up like following all of these small slime business shops and it's a totally different world but in a way it, I enjoy just being like a voyeur of this world where I'm just like oh people are just building their own businesses and making millions of dollars off of slime and like there's so much temptation for me to just be like I'm gonna quit animation and start my own slime business kind of <laughs> but I I, it's so different that I'm just like, there's no way I can just drop all of my stuff now and do that. And besides, like, I feel like my passion still lie in animation and storytelling, but like this thing is just so random, so weird, so irrelevant, but it's relaxing to me. And what I can do with it is when I like want to watch movies or films, I, I'll just play with it. Like I just squeeze it with my hands because I always feel like whenever I watch something, I feel guilty because I'm not drawing. So oh God, yeah. whenever I watch something, I'm always like, well, I could work on my comic while I'm doing this well, I could work on this drawing while I'm doing this. But no, if I have slime, it's like your hands are busy, girl. You're just squishing this thing and watching this thing. You can't even draw unless if you totally like just wash your hands and like whatever. So I feel like this has been my new form of therapy that has just been helping me learn yeah. to live in the moment and just focus 100%. on one thing. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what hobbies are for, right? It's like, it's, yeah. it, I just, I relate to all of that really hard and it, and it's, it's, um, 
it is a kind of a, a gift and a, and a curse that like a lot of stuff I do ends up becoming bigger and, and no longer my own. And, um, yeah, so it starts to like suck the, the fun out of it a little bit and it, you know, you don't have that like agency, but yeah, it's like, I mean, that's why people, uh, I, like I went fishing recently. Like I was at a lake house and they were like, Oh, we got some fishing rods. And I tried fishing for the first time. And I was like, Oh, this is why people do this. It was mm -hmm. like something people have been doing for like centuries, you know? And it was like, yeah. oh, this is really relaxing and nice and like pointless in a really nice way. <laughs> There's that's no way to awesome. monetize this. It's great. Yeah, exactly. So. I it's like finding more hobbies that just like, oh, they're like, you, you can't monetize. You, it'll take like things that make it very either difficult for you to monetize or things that just are so out of your regular world that yeah. you're just like, well, I, I can only just enjoy it for what it is and nothing yes. more. Mm -hmm. Capitalism has really ruined us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just constantly trying to hustle uh, to make to make ends meet. Nothing is fun anymore. Um, but yeah, from uh, user by Allen's Bear, how do you handle making comics while working on the in the animation industry? Well, so it's really about strategy at the end of the day, and it depends on how badly I want to make comics, I guess, because my comics on Instagram directly do not make me any money just from posting it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. The only way that they can make me money is if I post a video on YouTube and it brings in AdSense money or if like a sponsor is like, hey, we wanna like sponsor videos and through the time-lapse of the comic, like, oh, it can monetize. Or if I decide to make it a book and I print it, then yeah. But, you know, just by making the comic and posting it on Instagram, it's literally does not make me any money. So when I am working in the animation industry, if I am in a role that is maybe like, let's say higher than what I was as a storyboard artist. So I was an assistant director at Tonko House briefly. And during that time, I felt like I was able to have a creative voice elsewhere because I felt like during my time there, I was heard a bit more and it's like that show I was on, it's called Oni, Thunder God's Tale coming out this year, next year, I don't know, it's on Netflix. So uh -huh. I, on that show, I felt like we had a lot of creative input and I felt like I had a source of, you know, an outlet to say what I think creatively. And during that time, I was like, you know what? My Instagram can kind of chill. And I was doing these doodle comics and you can literally see like the phases of my comics. Like there was a phase where it's just sketchy, doodly, simple drawings. And that was because a lot of my time was being invested at my job at Tonko House. So these sketches were like the most that I could do at the moment. It's like, you know, it's not too much pressure. I just want to doodle it because it's like a diary. It's like a journal comic and it's simple. So that's how I was able to manage doing that. But then now I am a story artist again, working on this uh, feature feature series. I don't even know what it is. So this job is, I feel a little bit more distant from my role because it's like, first of all, we're all still working from home, but also this is one of those jobs where it's just like, I just have a meeting for like 30 minutes a week or I don't know, whatever. And it's like, when you're storyboarding now, it's just like, you can kind of create your own schedule, honestly, because yeah. if you know the rate of how you can get stuff done quickly, then you kind of get an idea of how much time you have throughout the week. Like after, you know, I feel like the first few weeks of starting the job is when you're like 
figuring it out. But once you're three months in, you're like, you know, I kind of know what to expect from my job. So during like a gig like this story artist, I just like have so much more available free time and mental space to just like think about other things. And I'm not like encouraging people to just like work on another job at their real job, obviously. But it's more like, oh, I have the mental capacity to think about new ideas, brainstorm things. And like in the morning, I'm not in a rush to go do something immediately so like I can spend my morning just writing down ideas working on a part of the comic or whatever and it's like when the day is over I still have enough energy to work on the comic and it's not like I finish a comic like the moment I start working on it it's like always done in segments so like let's say one morning before work happens I'll just thumbnail the comic whatever then I start working then at night just like oh well I have time now I can just line art it and then I'm just done line arting it and then the next day is like oh I'll just color in it's just like they're all done in different segments throughout the day like around like my pre-existing responsibilities Mm, nice yeah I like that a lot yeah um and then we had a few questions on Twitter that we can um quickly kind of go through um from at Courtney CSTL27, what was your favorite panel or scene of your webcomic to work on so far? And what made it your favorite? Well, I don't know yet, honestly. I feel like the the top three I can think of was one was when my when I went to Peru, like I like had these two final panels where I would just draw myself in the scenery. And I feel like those are my favorite because I feel like I can actually bring a real life experience I had into a comic that is actually like, I don't know, just showing people this thing I actually experienced. And this is the closest thing that I can maybe make you guys think about how wonderful of an experience it was just because when you're telling a story, you can kind of manipulate people and what they think, because that's like Mm -hmm. the point you want to emotionally sway people a certain way. Mm -hmm. So I feel like when I went to Peru, that was like one of the most amazing trips I've had. And I was like, I don't know how I can ever like describe this feeling to people. The only way I feel like I can do it is if I just like draw my experience. So I just drew myself like literally in the environments of this other country and just like the amazing landscape and whatnot. And I feel like it's so different from like my usual comics too, because my usual comics is like, oh, this is me in a suburban neighborhood. I don't know, living life, working, I don't know, basic stuff. Mm -hmm. But then it's just like, when you're traveling, you experience something that you're just like, I don't know how I could describe this to other people. It's not like you could bring everyone that you ever know on this trip with you. But when you are an artist, you can do your best to draw something to make other people feel the way that you do. And then when I made those comics, I had so many people from Peru just calling me like, why you were in Peru? Oh my gosh. And it's just like, so it's so satisfying to like make other people feel so like excited about their own culture and whatever. I don't know. Yeah. So that was just like a very satisfying like moment i could think of that's really great great. i love that um and then the other question was for someone looking to break into the industry what is something you'd recommend they have for either an animation or storyboard portfolio um for a storyboard portfolio in this day and age i would definitely recommend to have maybe two separate portfolios if possible i know that's like a lot to ask for but nowadays like I I feel like you need a TV portfolio and a feature portfolio because you're either going to be on a TV project or a feature project, or you're going to be on a project that's asking for both. And if they are asking for both, you have both to show them because I feel like 
I never knew how much like the type of media that you're going to be working on is going to affect the type of portfolio you're going to make so much. Like I used to just think like, just make good art. Like, isn't that all it was supposed to be? But now it's just like, you know, yeah. people are like asking, do you want to work on TV? Do you want to work on feature? I don't know. And then now everything is a mix of both. So I don't even know anymore. So I just think it's safe to make a portfolio that has an array of different genres if possible but if you know for sure you hate action don't draw action yeah because people will hire you for it and you'll end up just working on action shows that you don't want to do but if you know that you love emotional scenes and if that's something that you know you want to do then like definitely make that the prominent like feature of your storyboards but i would just say like make sure to have like maybe a tv portfolio and a feature portfolio just so that when someone is like hiring and you know they're like this is going to be a tv project and we're looking for comedy board artists like well i already have it ready to go or something like that because i think job postings are getting a little bit better at specifying what type of project they're on but it's just like now it's like well now you have to have the portfolio that really represents that yeah 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 very true um from at micah the tune how did your short films like endlessly and pebbles prepare you for your work in the animation industry and did you learn anything important when creating them early on in your animation journey well i guess those were two of the projects that i would say were oh i didn't really make them feeling too pressured by the feeling of needing to make it look great or whatever because again going back to the conversation of people saying how oh, like you have to make something like outstanding or like oscar worthy or whatever i feel like those were the two films where i finally just kind of stopped thinking about any of that and like the equivalent of that in cal arts was like the producer show which was this show that you know like selected films will get into and it's showed to various animation studios and whatnot the only film that got in that i made was endlessly and the rest never made it in but it's fine because the world is greater than that so i feel like they prepared me in the sense that you know you should really just embrace making stuff that you actually like making and Mm -hmm. not care too much about what does well and what doesn't because i feel like everything is so volatile in life. You know, the algorithm is changing, trends are changing, what people wanna watch is always changing. But the one thing you do have control of is actually working on stuff you actually like and give a shit about. So I feel like even though like looking back on my old student films, I still kind of cringe because I'm like, oh my God, like I know I could do so much better now and whatever. But it's like, at least when I look back on some of those films, I'm like, hey, at least I feel I can remember the feeling of working on those projects and being like, yeah, I had such a good time just listening to really like epic music and just storyboarding to that or just animating to that. And now I feel like with my comics, like, you know, I feel like you kind of go down a funnel and you'll start to embrace the things that you love a little bit more and you'll just start to embrace you for yourself a little bit more because I feel like when you first enter school and everything, you're just like, oh my gosh, I need to make something really cool. You're just so focused on making something outstanding. But then as time goes on, you're just like, I'm just going to focus on what I like to do. And it feels so good to just only care about that. So yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's a great answer. Uh, Michelle, how do you deal with creative block and what does it feel like for you? Um, Creative block is, I don't even know if I, I don't, I feel like I definitely deal with burnout more than creative block because Mm. nowadays I don't feel like 
creative block is really a thing that exists only because for example i have a list of ideas that i write down and i'm just like okay well i'm gonna work on this today work on that today if anything maybe i kind of just go on autopilot mode and i'm just working on this without as much passion as some other projects so i don't know i feel like if i do get a creative block and i seriously don't know what to draw or what to do one day and i feel paralyzed from doing anything i just totally remove myself from drawing entirely. I will probably book plane tickets somewhere and I will probably just go there and just totally detach myself from everything and just not care about drawing. And then I will end up meeting people and having new experiences. And then suddenly I'll be like, wow, I had so many cool experiences. I need an outlet to describe this to someone. I'll be like, oh yeah, I can draw. And then I will thumbnail out like my experiences. And that's how I kind of come back from like not having any ideas but I feel like nowadays the way that I deal with preventing myself from having creative block is again just making a big list of ideas every single thought I've ever had that swayed me in some emotional way and you know it's impossible for me to create 50 comics in one week anyway so I'll probably always have this list existing so I'll always have one idea that I can do if I don't feel like doing any of them. Yeah, that's yeah, great. No, I, yeah, I think that's really smart. You're very organized. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. I'm a type A, as you can see. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. it's good. I think it's yeah. good to or, being organized is is good. It's keeps yeah. you actually efficient and working on things. Agree. Um, Thanks. Uh, is there anything you want to uh, promote or plug while you're on the show? Um, well, I guess my book, Mish the Bad Demon, again, is coming out March 2023. So check it out on, I don't know, Amazon, Target, Barnes and Nobles, your typical book sites. Mm-hmm. And Oni, Thunder God's Tale, the Netflix show at Tonka House that I assistant directed on is coming out. I don't know when, but just keep an eye out for it um, on Netflix. I think it should be later this year, early next year. I, there was not a specific month or year released but i know it is very close to finish so yeah very cool very and uh what kind of goals do you have for your uh career in the future um so in the future i would like to continue publishing more books and i think eventually it would be great if one of them could be adapted to a film or a show of some sort i think like Mm -hmm. i definitely have found enjoyment in just being able to have ownership over my own projects. And then maybe like, if it gets picked up, cool. If it doesn't, whatever. And I do plan to continue sticking around in animation for sure. I still think animation is my root. So I I plan to continue growing in animation, but I think when it comes to me having a creative outlet that is my own voice and my own projects, I think I will definitely be focusing more with books, comics, and utilizing my social media for that world. And then animation is kind of more of like, you know, if these two paths ever align one day, that would be awesome. Yeah. That's great. I think that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Uh, Very cool. Well, I think that's the end of this creative block. Michelle, thanks for being a guest and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to our listeners. Follow us on Twitter at Creative Block. It's creative without the vowels, where we ask for drawing prompts and questions to ask our guests. Huge thanks to our editor, Clemens, for editing the podcast and Malik for helping us produce this show. 
If you love our show, then support us on Patreon. Becoming a patron gets you early access to interviews as well as bonus episodes. Click the link in the description of this episode. I've been your host, Gene. And I was V. Keep being creative, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.